this is Terry Beatley, your host of What If We've Been Wrong? I'm shining light into some dark places so that beauty, goodness, and truth defeat the schemes of the enemy. It's true, people are perishing for lack of knowledge, and we're instructed to have nothing to do with the evil deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what I do on What If We've Been Wrong? Rethink, explore, and uncover some hidden truths so that more people can experience an abundant life and the joy of being set free from the shackles that hold us in prison. Welcome to What If We've Been Wrong? All right, hey, it's Terry Beatley, and you are on What If We've Been Wrong on, a, on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Today, I'm going to be talking about communism, the communist invasion of the Catholic Church. What's the back history of this? How has it affected the Catholic Church in America and abroad? And what can we do about it? Uh, my guests today are Jimmy Burkon. Uh, Jimmy has a master's degree in theology from Franciscan University and is fully engaged in, in research as well as Christine Nile. She's a senior producer and investigative reporter with Church Militant. Thank you all for being on the show today. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Great to be here, Terry, as always. Well, Christine, I've been watching Church Militant grow, grow, grow. In fact, I pulled your data today. I don't know if this is completely accurate, but it says Church Militant has 203,000 Facebook followers, 31,000 Twitter, 139,000 YouTube followers, and 29,000 on Instagram. And I remember when I really started watching a lot of the YouTube videos, you all were somewhere around like 65,000. So I've seen it grow, grow, grow. And, um, and you, you are one of the investigative reporters, and I think some of the key words here is you are independent. You're not here to cover up for anybody who's been making horrible mistakes inside the church. Um, you're independent, and you all are tenaciously yeah. pursuing the truth. And there's so much to uncover because Mother Church has to get restored again. So uh, so thank you for being on. I, I just thought a great place to start would be, you were not born in America. Um, give us a little piece of your background and your taste of communism, or at least your parents' taste of communism, and why you ended up here. Right, sure. Um, you know, it's interesting, a recent poll uh, surveyed millennials, and interestingly enough, more millennials support socialism than they do capitalism. And, you know, it was something like 44% of millennials today support socialism versus only 42 per, uh, supporting capitalism. And then an extra 7% support fascism and another 7% support communism. It's just flabbergasting. I think to myself, wow, the only reason these people support that is because they, ne they have never had firsthand experience with either socialism or communism. I have. You know, as, as you mentioned, I, you know, my family was actually born, uh, we were in Saigon, Vietnam, the capital of Vietnam. I was born there in 1974, the year before Saigon collapsed to the communists. The Viet Cong came in 1975, they took over Saigon. And according to my parents, I was young at the time, they said that we were a very well-off family. My father was an honorary chairman of a bank. He was a very successful civil engineer. My mother also came from wealth. Her mother owned a jewelry store, and so we were well off. Well, according to them, the communists came, and they did what they do. They took everything that we had. 
And about a year after that, my father sort of realized that there was no future there in his home country. It was the hardest decision that he ever had to make in his life because he loved Vietnam. That was his homeland. And interestingly enough, we were very fortunate um, to escape having to become, you know, boat people and refugees because my grandfather was a colonel in the French army stationed in Vietnam back when Vietnam was uh, a colony of the French. He married my grandmother and his French citizenship passed down through my mom to each of the children. It was that French citizenship that allowed our family to get on a plane and go to France. And so that's where we went for a few years. Uh, it was a very difficult existence. My father went from being the successful chairman of the bank, et cetera, to driving taxis in the streets of France, just menial labor, just doing anything he could to support our family. Um, and one of his friends said, you know, why don't you think about going to America? You know, the land of opportunity, anything's possible. And so, again, he had to pick up, you know, he had a, a young wife, three very young children, almost no English to speak of. And he came over to the United States and um, a, a friend of his sort of set him up in his engineering law firm. And God bless this man. His name is Mike Ambrose. I want to say his name because even though he really barely knew my father and my father knew no English, really. So the very first six months of his job there, he didn't really do anything. And yet this man paid him a regular salary so my father could sort of get back on his feet, learn the ropes of how to do the engineering business to the point where he could become independent and establish his own firm. And he ended up having a very successful business, put three kids through college, and now lives in a beautiful home in Florida, retired. All right, and then Jimmy Burkhan said, Terry, we have to interview uh, Christine. And Jimmy, how come Christi interviewing Christine so interested you? For me personally, what I was so impressed with with Christine was, you know, as soon as the, the scandal broke, um, the Summer of Shame 2018, McCarrick Report, then the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report, I latched on to Church Militant because my parents are from Western Pennsylvania. And sadly, the uh, the priest who married my parents was one of the guys who was accused. So this is something, I mean, I also have relatives who've been abused and such like that. So it's something that really is very, very near and dear to my heart. And when, here's what I found amazing, Christine, when you and Michael and all the church militant staff started uh, revealing all of this and what was behind it, everything finally made sense. As a young man, I'm, I'm 37, so I'm, I'm still, I like to consider myself young. Um, you know, I would wonder when I went to church, why would I not hear about the hard issues? You know, all these guys, I went to high school in the 90, late 90s, early 2000s, and, you know, the hookup culture was rampant, drugs, drinking around and such. And I was wondering, why am I not hearing this from the altar? And when you finally exposed all this, it finally made sense. You know, and so I saw and the main phases I've seen on Church Militant, Christine, are you and Michael. And that's when I told Terry, hey, look, we got to, you know, and, and Terry, Terry really reaches a conservative crowd, you know, not necessarily Catholic, but it's important for the conservatives to know what we're going through as well. So, right. You know, we, we felt very vindicated after the summer of shame, the McCarrick revelations, the Pennsylvania grand jury report, because mm -hmm. for a long time, people were sort of writing off Church Militant as, oh, you're just a bunch of conspiracy theorists and hacks, and you're, you're right. exaggerating the problem in the church. And after all of these revelations came out, things that we had been reporting on for years and people were dismissing, and yet they were confirmed, objectively confirmed mm -hmm. what we were saying. We were vindicated. And I've got to tell you, uh, we got, we are, premium subscriptions skyrocketed and we got mm. some personal apologies from people 
uh, who in the past wrote us off saying, you know what, you guys have been right all along. Right. So, so it so was a nice indication. What I want to do then is tie this conversation about communism, the Catholic Church, to Cardinal McCarrick. Give us, please, Christine, some of the background. Well, let, let's first go back to part of the route. We know there was a Freemason invasion in the Catholic Church, but then later on in the 1930s, 1940s, we know the communists invaded the seminaries. Walk our listeners through this, because whether somebody is Catholic or not Catholic, it should concern the listener that the Catholic Church ended up with communists on the inside, because the enemy knew they couldn't attack from the outside, so they came within. Can you walk our listeners through a little bit of this whole Bella Dodd, you know, the history of this with the uh, communist invasion? Sure. Absolutely. And, you know... Again, this is one of these stories that we have been reporting on, and I think the average Catholic tends to want to dismiss it as a conspiracy theory, and it is anything but. I mean, we have, um, you know, very admired, respected people like Dr. Alice von Hildebrand, you know, one of the greatest philosophers, Catholic philosophers living today, herself testifying to the truth of this. She was personal friends with Bella Dodd. Bella Dodd sat down and told her specifically that she herself recruited people, you know, because of course people, Bella Dodd, for those who don't know, um, she was a very high ranking figure in the American Communist Party back in the early part of the 20th century. She had a conversion through the wonderful Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Sheen was a tremendous outspoken vocal critic of communism. He helped her convert her. And then Dodd became very good friends with Dr. Alice von Hildebrand and Dodd told her everything. She said, "I, I myself recruited. Uh, communists into the seminaries in order to infiltrate and corrupt and destroy the Catholic Church from within. This was actually the the plan, it was the scheme coming out of the Soviet Union to infiltrate religions from within. It wasn't just the Catholic Church, you know, they're evangelical, Protestant, uh, Jewish, everything. And so their plan was to raise up and groom these seminarians who were actually truly communist plants put them into the seminaries. And as Dodd said, they got about 1,100 of these men back in the early 20th century. Successfully through the seminaries, they got ordained. Some of them became bishops and some of them even became cardinals. And some of them went to the Vatican. You know, we talk a lot about, for instance, social justice today, social justice and how certain parts of the church push a social justice theme that ignores the gospel, ignores the supernatural, and focuses only on, for instance, eradicating poverty in this world. Um, You know, economic problems, climate change, that sort of thing. Without any sort of focus on supernatural, you can actually directly tie that back to this communist infiltration. They specifically wanted to subvert the gospel of Christ into a purely social gospel that included class warfare, you know, attacking poverty, but from a purely natural way, forgetting about the supernatural and eternal immortal dimension of the soul. And it's been incredibly successful. Um, And it wasn't just here in the United States, Uh, Canada as well. People don't realize this, but the French Dominicans were so uh, corrupted by communism that Pope Pius XII in the early 20th century was actually considering suppressing the French Dominicans because of how corrupted they were by communist ideals. 
you know, this is the Pope. <laughs> so, um, and also you think about liberation theology in Latin America. Mm-hmm. Liberation theology is a direct offshoot of communism. Again, uh, Jan Pahepa, he was uh, a Soviet defector, became a Catholic. He was a former uh, high-ranking Communist Party official. He came out and admitted that the USSR sent people into Latin America specifically to Catholic bishops there who were sympathetic to the communist message and planted liberation theology there where it has taken off like wildfire. So, I mean, communism has, you know, what is the message? Russia will spread her errors throughout the world. Right. And she has. She has. It's, it's affected every part of, of the Catholic Church. Mm. So, wow. so okay. How does this tie mm-hmm. in with the uh, this whole South American homosexual seminary pipeline? Um, does that have anything to do with the communist infiltration? I'm not sure that has any direct relation to the the communist infiltration. That is, well, here's the thing. Okay, actually, homosexuality is very much tied into the communist infiltration because communists specifically targeted homosexuals. Um, and this is something that Michael has reported on in his report on McCarrick. Mm-hmm. McCarrick, it is tied to uh, the communist infiltration. We've been the only ones who have actually reported on this. It's, it's a bit of an in-depth story, but um, you can read any report, a secular report. Communists deliberately targeted homosexual men in order to blackmail them. Now, in the early part of the 20th century, obviously, homosexuality was something that you tried to hide, all right? And if it came out, it could destroy your career, your reputation. You tried to hide it. Communists would pick out these men. They were vulnerable. They were insecure. They were susceptible to blackmail. And they would sort of bribe them into becoming double agents and spies for them. So this happened, for instance, with some of the people in the Cambridge Five, if people are familiar with that, uh, some British uh, double agents. But we believe there's evidence to show that they targeted McCarrick from a young age. And they brought him over to St. Gallen. Now, people have heard of the St. Gallen Mafia. Right. that a lot. Mm-hmm. St. Gallen Mafia, St. Gallen is a city located in Switzerland. Uh, this St. Gallen, we also found out from another source, actually was a training ground for communists. And so McCarrick was brought there almost every single year for decades. We also find out St. Gallen Mafia includes a bunch of very le- liberal left-leaning cardinals and bishops who helped get Pope Francis elected. McCarrick was instrumental to that group in helping to get Pope Francis elected. Um, and like I said, they would use homosexuality not simply to blackmail and target these men, but also to corrupt the church, to flood the church with these communist homosexuals like McCarrick. Right. So in that sense, there, there is a whole, you know, link between communism and homosexuality. I don't know so much directly with the gay seminary pipeline in um, South America. But, but that in itself is a very interesting story. It's, again, when we reported on it, see, people call us sensationalist, but there's what we report on is true, and it's just so sordid and so terrible that it seems sensationalist. But, I mean, it's reality. There was a, there was, the, and this was actually reported by National Catholic Register, which is more of a Catholic establishment media organization, and it was confirmed publicly by Holy Apostles Seminary. Uh, but essentially, there was an um, investigation into Holy Apostle Seminary. A number of the seminarians there were brought from a seminary in Colombia. 
And it was revealed through this investigation that they were deliberately recruited from South America after they passed a sex test, essentially. I mean, they would essentially sleep with the fellow that went down. Wow. Joseph Gatto. Uh, who said, Whoa. Yeah, it was terrible. They were made to go through this homosexual test, which was sleeping with this person. And if they slept with him, they were recruited. And then they were brought up to various East Coast seminaries where they were farmed out to be lovers and boyfriends and partners of gay priests and in some bishops. This entire scheme was uncovered by Father John Lavers, who was a top-level investigator in the church. He was brought in. A bunch of these seminarians were kicked out. Uh, but but it's true. And interestingly enough, Joseph Bernardine, Cardinal Bernardine, was involved. He actually set up the first homosexual pipeline in Chicago through the seminary that's called Casa Jesus. Casa Jesus is now shut down. It's now defunct after a number of homosexual scandals were revealed there in 2016. Cardinal Supic shut it down because of all these gay scandals coming out of there. But that was actually established under Cardinal Joseph Bernardine in the 1980s, specifically with the same aim of going down to South America and recruiting homosexuals and bringing them to Chicago to, again, corrupt and destroy the church from within. It's it's almost like you can't You, you really can't. Uh, <laughs> no, we couldn't sensationalize it even if it's wrong. Well, I tell you what, we're going we're gonna to come to a close here on this first segment, but you're hearing it right from senior producer and investigative reporter Christine Niles with Church Militant, and I encourage everybody to go check out their website, Church Militant, and we will be right back. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multi-nutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. All right, you're back with What If We've Been Wrong with Terry Beatley, Christine Niles, and Jimmy Burkon. And Jimmy, you were just saying, oh my gosh, it's like the, the invasion, the attack on the Catholic Church is like a cancer. What do you mean by that, Jimmy? Well, I, um, I, uh, the church I go to, I live right outside Washington, D.C. in Arlington, Virginia, and the church I go to has a 24-hour perpetual uh, adoration chapel, which is, I mean, it's it's great. It's, ne it's needed. But a good guy there, uh, my friend uh, Mike, uh, for his sake, I won't say his last name, but he's a former seminarian, great guy, very orthodox, very conservative, married, want, he has a beautiful wife. But uh, we, we've talked a lot about this, and he also has been in touch. I mean, he's been watching a lot of church militant and he tells me he's like this scandal it's a lot i mean christine terry and i were just talking to our jaws were hitting the floor what you were telling us like uh I, uh, you know it, it's like cancer you know you got to get you got to go through the chemo and it's ugly when it's all coming out i mean it is 
boy, is it vile. Ugh, yeah, but, you're, you're right. Too. I think that's an ex- excellent analogy that, that it's a cancer. And just as with any cancer, you've got to excise it. You've got to get it out. And the thing is, we're not doing that. Um, you know, we just did a download show today, which is our daily panel discussion show. And Catholic laity, just or not just Catholics, but any Christians who are concerned about, you know, the state of the church and that sort of thing, we need to be aware that things are just as bad as they have ever been, regardless of what the bishops are saying, that we're cleaning things up and we're dealing with the sex abuse and we're dealing with McCarrick and all that. First of all, where the, where's the McCarrick report? We've been That's waiting right. months now. We were actually told that we we're going to have the McCarrick report in December. And now it's going, you know, mid-February. Where's the McCarrick report? Meanwhile, you know, I, you know, we're, I think they're just waiting for McCarrick to die and his secrets to die with him. Really, huh. I think that's what they're doing. He was yeah. in the, what was it, the, the over in Kansas. Did they move him somewhere? He decided to leave. He just he decided to leave. Uh, he didn't like it there, and he's decided to go to warmer climate, so he went to Jacksonville, Florida. And that's something that we, we broke. But at this point, we don't know where he is. He might have fled from there to go somewhere else. So right now, we don't know where he is. Okay. All right. Now, but you know, I think to be mm-hmm. quite honest, I don't think the Vatican's interested in finding him. I don't think they're really interested in finding him because they don't want him to reveal any more of his secrets. Right. You also broke the story of that priest in Buffalo who was going to blow the lid off of yes. the home, the whole homosexual cabal, and he was fa- right when he, before he was going to do it, he was found dead with two, not one, but two bullet holes in the back of his head shot with his right arm and you said his right arm was like dysfunctional or something christine you cannot like you said you can't make this stuff up you can't I mean, make um, this stuff up <laughs> but, but, but but i mean my, my question with mccarrick i you know i mean of course and we would all agree we should pray for him because he i mean he's he has no remorse and he's on the road to perdition so, i mean you know god god help him that he somehow converts but could it be possible that he gets off. I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I mean, or, or, or is that maybe taking it a little too far? No, I, 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 I mean, think that's one of the absolutely he could certainly get. In fact, I'm surprised that nothing like that has happened to him because they do not want his secrets coming out. And here's the terrifying thing. Here's the terrifying thing. Many McCarrick cronies are in power in the church today. Look at the College of Bishops right now in the Vatican. First of all, Pope Francis kicked off a very good cardinal, Cardinal Raymond Burr. God bless him. He kicked him off and then left in power Cardinal Donald Wuerl, okay, who openly lied about whether or not he knew about McCarrick's crimes. Cardinal Wuerl of Washington, D.C. is on the College of Bishops in Rome. Cardinal Blaise Supich, terrible, terrible corrupt cardinal of Chicago, sitting on the College of Bishops. Cardinal Joseph Tobin, another horrible, faithless cardinal in New Jersey sitting on the College of Bishops, and there's word that the Pope might also appoint Cardinal Kevin Farrell. These are all men who are McCarrick cronies. Cardinal Farrell lived with McCarrick on the same floor in the same mansion for six years in Washington, D.C. He knew all of his secrets, and yet he pretends that he's shocked when the McCarrick revelations came out. All of these, I'm sorry, they're all evil, corrupt, and they're very much in power things are as bad today as they have ever been and people need to be aware of that so so christine what's the solution in this hierarchy i mean what um, beyond prayer i mean prayer is number one praying the rosary praying that you know the corruption will be flushed out and exposed and flushed out but beyond that is there anything the lay the laity can do 
What can we do? And it, I mean, obviously you're doing it with church militant. We're doing it here trying to like super expose church militant. But beyond that, what can we do? Right. Okay. You're absolutely correct that the very first thing we must do is pray, especially the rosary, turn to St. Michael, because this is a spiritual battle at the end of the day. Yeah. It's a spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. And we must pray. And also we must be personally holy. Can't be in a state of mortal sin. We've got to be in a state of grace. So in addition to prayer, also action. And there's a lot of things that laity can do. First thing is we need to expose these people. We need to talk about it. Um, you know, because some people in the past have been very hesitant about, oh, I can't criticize the bishops. I can't say anything. That's not true. Canon 212 gives every single layperson the right, and it's the right, to voice your concerns publicly for the good of the church. You have the right to do it under church law, and also you have the obligation to do it. Because if you sit on the sidelines and you're just silent, mm -hmm. then you enable the, the cover-up and the abuse. So first of all, speak up. If you have a blog, write about it. You know, also, we encourage um, people writing to their bishops, calling them to account. Um, also, if you have a priest who's saying heretical things, please don't just sit back and stay, stay silent. Don't just say, oh, well, I'll just pray for him, but I'm not going to say anything. They need to be respectfully confronted. They can't be allowed to be up there speaking heresy damaging and destroying souls, which then go on to hell. It's on you, laity, to speak up. So that's definitely speaking up. But another very important thing, cut off the cash. We've been saying this for a long time. Now, if you have a good priest that you want to donate to at his parish, fine. Donate to him maybe directly, but cut off the cash because sometimes that's the only thing these bishops will listen to. And you know what? Right now, the financial boycott across the country is having an impact, and it seems to be having an effect. For instance, the Washington, D.C. Archdiocese just issued a, a public flyer addressing some of people's concerns because they're feeling the pinch now. Good. You know, because D.C., that's where McCarrick came from. Good. Sorry. Okay. No, uh, I yeah, said so, good. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> So, so you can you can cut off the cash because they just take your money and I'm sorry they misuse it and they abuse it. So, so those are some things laity can do. Okay, and what's the history of? Now, I'm a Catholic revert. I was you know baptized as a baby and uh, poorly catechized and married outside the church. And actually, I I I went kind of back and forth whether or not I was going to share this on today's show. And 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 I've just made up my mind that yes, I will. Um, the, sparing a lot of the details, but the Lord made it very clear that I was to return back home to Mother Church. There are many different reasons for that, but he made it unequivocally clear. I didn't argue, and this was, I think, back in 2014. I had no idea oh, how, how, how broken Mother Church is, was, is, and um, so I had been married outside the Catholic Church, and I knew by a good holy priest who had informed me that I needed to have my marriage validated. Well, we had moved to this rural area and uh, in the Richmond Diocese of Virginia, and the priest, uh, my radar started going off. It's like, yeah, I don't feel good about this priest, just little red herrings here and there. And I, I asked him one day on a Monday morning, do I, do I need to get my marriage validated? And he said, oh, no, you're fine. You don't need to have it validated. And I thought, well, here's my chance. I might as well ask him. 
uh, about the issue of homosexuality in the Catholic Church. And I said, well, Father so-and-so, where's the Catholic Church now on the issue of homosexuality? And Christine and Jimmy, I know, Jimmy, you've heard, heard me talk about this before, but this priest mm-hmm. then revealed to me that, oh, Terry, the Catholic Church has been in the dark ages for centuries on human sexuality. We are really wow. are getting our act together and things are changing. Well, well, I thought, I'm not going to blow my cover. So I just went along with this. And, and I said, well, Father, so, so he said, you know, Terry, when I first came here to this parish, uh, there were two homosexual men here. And then he pivoted and he said, Terry, it's all about love. It's all about love. Oh. So I decided, well, let me go walk that dog with this priest. And I said, well, Father, if it's all about love, what, what, what if hypothetically, my husband wanted to show love to our two girls in a sexual way. Would that be okay? So I just walked this dog with him, and I walked him right on off the pier into the Chesapeake Bay of Virginia. Uh, He he got all (laughs) befuddled, and he dropped his keys on the floor, and when he came back up, he was red in the face. He was stuttering, and but listen to his response, because he knew I had connected his logic to it is not logic, and he said, well, uh, uh, well, as long as it's two consenting adults. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, oh, my goodness. And so that's what, now, I did not run. Christine, Jimmy, I didn't run from the Catholic Church. God was revealing to me just how broken it is and, and, and be strong, move forward. So I continued, and I asked him, I asked him, where did he go to school, da-da-da, and then where did he get his master's in theology? And he said, oh, I went to Catholic University in Washington, D.C., back in the whatever years it was, maybe early 1990s or something. And I said, well, who was your favorite Catholic theologian? And he said, uh, what's his last name? Curran, Curran? C-U-R- Oh, yeah, Charles Curran. Sorry, yes, thank you, Charles who oh, was yeah. who oh, was yeah. completely oh, yeah. what laicized if that's the right word defrocked whatever and now he's a methodist minister somewhere and so I, what puzzled me was uh, why did i recognize that name well i had been writing a book what if we've been wrong and i went back i wrote the guy's name down went back home pulled open my book no 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 i went on online i looked up this quran's name and a father is it quran or quran Curran? Curran. Curran. Okay. Looked him up and he just popped up on Wikipedia and I read through. I'm like, oh my gosh. Then I opened up my book manuscript and in the chapter called, uh, I think it's chapter 14, The Few Perfidious Priests and the Catholic Strategy. And I literally had his name on the first page in a Patrick Madrid (laughs) quote where he was talking about the rogue basically the communist rogue priests who duped the Kennedy family. And so God was allowing me to experience how broken Mother Church is, but, but you know, our Lord and Our Lady are not done with this church. I believe the filth somehow, some way, is going to be exposed, is going to be flushed out. Mother Church will be restored. I believe the day's coming when Protestants, too, will everybody will call you know, we'll call her blessed. 
You know, I think this has been, yeah, so, so here's my question. How do you think our blessed mother is playing a role, having a role, not playing, but having a role in, in cleaning house from McCarrick on oh, down? Gosh. Can you talk to me about oh, that? Oh my goodness. I think she has everything to do with the cleaning house, cleaning house that we're seeing right now. In fact, uh, the summer of shame, 2018, the McCarrick revelations, Vigano's testimony that came right after the hundredth anniversary of our lady of Fatima. And, you know, we all knew that I, we, wow. me and my friends, we all thought, you know, something's going to happen. Something big is going to happen right around the anniversary, the hundredth anniversary of our lady of Fatima. And that it was that year, just right after that year that we had one thing after another, after another. And the thing that's interesting is every time these revelations broke, they broke on some feast day of our lady. Yes. <laughs> it was like some feast day, <laughs> some Marian feast day. And, it was like a great gift it, because you can't start to clean the house until you first ex, first expose the filth and the rot and the corruption. Right. And that was the problem. None of it was being exposed. It was being covered up and, you know, couldn't do that anymore with the McCarrick revelations. That had been this rot festering for decades in the church, this huge secret in the American hierarchy that so many bishops were complicit with. Suddenly it's exposed out to the open. And people are running and scattering and trying to hide, and they're being exposed. Then you have the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report. Now, this report actually vindicated all of our reporting on Cardinal World. We got slammed by some fellow Catholics, fellow Orthodox Catholics, for saying, oh, why are you guys, you know, targeting Cardinal World? He's such a good guy. bishop. He's done so much. And why are you guys attacking him? You're being unfair. That Grand Jury Report, we were waiting and waiting to see it come out because we thought we knew it was going to show – uh, Cardinal World's part in protecting the homosexual priests in Pittsburgh, and that's exactly what it did. And then, of course, the great gift of Archbishop Vigano and his testimony. Yes. I mean, tremendous. God bless this man. Yep. I mean, re revealing what we've been saying all along. At the very top tiers of the church, there is a homosexual network strangling the church. And we need to get to the root of that corruption before you can even start cleaning house. But, you know, to get back to your question, absolutely, all of this is related to Our Lady. I mean, we were joking around here saying, you know what, she's, she's tired. She's getting out the brooms, broomstick. Yeah. You know, she's like, yeah. she's, she's had right, it. Right. Had yeah. it. Well, yeah. as women, yeah. we know yeah. how to clean that house. So when I was thinking about spring cleaning, I mean, that's when you move the furniture and you find all those dust bunnies and, and you lift the cushions off the sofa. And it's like, oh, wow, that's where all the dirt from my pockets went to. And, and I mean, you're, you're cleaning the baseboard. And I think, and I pray to God that that's really happening and it'll continue. But what does surprise me is like here we moved from that that one parish that I was at and actually went into a different diocese um but what still surprises me is like uh, during the the weekly mass it's it, we have an opportunity the laity to pray um when it's like open prayer and nobody ever prays out loud that the corruption in the church will be exposed and and done away with it's like how, you know, we always pray for the end of abortion, for safety and travelers, but that always surprises me. How come we can't say it out loud? And actually, is there a history to this? I mean, Jimmy, with all your study of the Catholic Church, and all, why, what, what's the root of, oh, we shouldn't say anything bad? Spreading the out loud truth from sea to shine and sea. 
AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. To unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. We are the vision of the voices. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Hello, this is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, the host of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am also the founder and CEO of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called The Wounded Blue. Our website is thewoundedblue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens when a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled, seriously injured in the line of duty. Most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft Store. Nobody ever prays out loud that the corruption in the church will be exposed and and done away with. It's like how, you know, we always pray for the end of abortion, for safety and travelers, but that always surprises me. How come we can't say it out loud? And actually, is there a history to this? I mean, Jimmy, with all your study of the Catholic Church and all, why, what, what's the root of, oh, we shouldn't say anything bad? Because I don't understand that. As a revert, I, I don't have the answer for that. What is the answer? Well, I mean, at least what I've studied and now, you know, I think more invest, I think it needs to be, what I'm about to say needs to be expanded on. We need to understand it more. But I think, um, I think so much of it and Terry, we're going to talk at length about it on a future show. You know, when Christine, Christine, when you mentioned, uh, what our lady of Fatima said, communism will spread her errors across the globe. You know, one thing we have not talked about and Terry, I know you've covered it is Marxist feminism. You know, the lies of feminism. I, you know, I have, I've, I've, I've spent, 20 years studying John Paul's theology of the body, you know, and studying Col- Maximilian Colby's Mariology. If I could put a plug in real quick, it's no mistake that the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report came out on August 14th, Colby's feast day, the great Marian saint, Ooh. when we learned about all these. Just, just before the Feast of the Assumption. Just before the Feast of the Assumption. Wow. The, the, I, 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 we could do a whole show on Colby, but... um. Basically, he he was a martyr at Auschwitz. He gave his life for a fellow prisoner who had a wife and family, and he actually did not only save one man at that camp. He saved thousands. Every man who had a run-in with Colby at Auschwitz survived that camp, and that is impossible because they were on starvation rations. There was constant liquidation, constant executions. So it's almost like you know when we learned about these horrible so-called quote-unquote priests, it's like God was pointing us in the direction to say, hey – Here's what a real priest looks like. But but I think I think, you know, kind of dovetailing Colby, you know, we've lost a sense of, you know, masculinity. Now now certain ideas of feminism were not bad. For example, you know, the female the the, the feminine genius. We are all created equal, but we're also created different. All of us have different talents, as scripture tells us. But I think too, one thing that we've lost as men 
is it's called the passivity of Adam. You know, as men, what happened in the garden when this, first of all, the serpent approached Eve, right? Um, there's an author, I'm actually going through the book right now, Maria Agrita, who uh, it's called, I actually have it on my desk right in front of me, The Mystical City of God. It talks about the life of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Our Lady um, appeared to her and dictated her life to Sister Maria Agrita. Well, when Satan approached Eve, the one of the misconceptions is, well, he was going after the weaker sex. That's not necessarily true. He saw Eve. He thought Satan thought Eve was the Blessed Mother. And ever since, um, if you go into Scripture with the Church Fathers and such, the Church Fathers point out that what caused Lucifer to fall, to become Satan, he was given a vision of the Incarnation. He would not have only seen Christ becoming man, he would have also seen Our Lady, so he had it in for the woman. But what happened in the Garden of Eden, where man was supposed to protect woman to lay his life down for her, and also as men, we're supposed to lay down our life for the Church, how Christ laid down his life for the Church, man went passive. We did not act. We gave into fear. We gave into doubt. And, you know, Christine, I'm sure you see this all the time. And, you know, you, you have resources all across the U.S. who talk to you about this. I mean, what's the biggest thing that we're dealing with in the church right now? I mean, a huge uh, symptom of this whole scandal, fear and doubt. Absolutely. You know, men, men who are afraid, men who are afraid to act. I mean, I don't know if it's fear gives into doubt or doubt leads to fear. But, I mean, it, it's, it's almost like as men, and I'm sure I've also, I've heard stories of priests um, you, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, not, not literally, but figuratively their hands and their tongues are tied, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, that, you know what, that's something that Michael Voris has spoken a great deal on is the crisis of authentic masculinity in the yeah. world, as well as in the church. And we think that the greatest crisis in the church today is a lack of spiritual fatherhood, because that's really yes. what it is. These bishops yeah. and the priests are not being true fathers. They're not defending their family, which is the flock, the yes. souls entrusted to their care. They're letting in the enemies. You know, and in, in some cases, they're actively abusing their own family. So there's a lack mm -hmm. of authentic spiritual fatherhood and a lack of authentic masculinity. You know, it's mm -hmm. an emasculated faith that's being preached. It's been gutted. Of all of all the guts of the meat, you know, and and softened in order to make it palatable because they don't want to offend people. They're scared of being, you know, the targets of people's criticism. But going back to your question, um, uh, Terry, about this fear of laity to speak up and that sort of thing, I, in addition to being linked to this sort of emasculation and fear and doubt, there's also um, this. Uh, attitude among laity, which is well-intentioned, that we have to show respect to the ordained and the consecrated. And so we look to them as authority figures and, you know, standing in the place of Jesus. And so we feel like we've got to be very respectful. We can't criticize. We can't, you know, say anything that's going to in any way upset or offend them. That That's very ingrained in many Catholics, you know, understanding. And it's interesting because... <laughs> People like Cardinal Supich, when asked, you know, what is the root cause of the sex abuse crisis in the church? Mm -hmm. And he doesn't say homosexuality. He says clericalism. Mm -hmm. Now, he was, you know, obviously rightly mocked for that. But in one sense, there is a certain clericalist attitude among laity that still persists today, meaning we put these men on a pedestal and we think, oh, they're beyond reproach and they're beyond criticism and we can't say anything. We can't say anything to upset them. That's not true. As we can see, there are many of these men who are absolutely not 
uh, doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're abusing their spiritual authority. And laity really do need to become bolder. I think we're just too, we're too nice. You know, we're too, we, we feel like, it's like conservatives, right? We're, we're so much nicer than the liberals. Yes. And Well, I mean, for me, being a Catholic revert and then knowing, being fairly well read on the back history of the communist invasion and to a lesser degree, this whole Freemasonry uh, infiltration, which happened way before, you know, the communist invasion. And I mean, we don't, even if you're Protestant, you shouldn't want the Catholic Church to collapse to implode, to whatever negative, you don't want that. To, I mean, that's it's the mother church that's been upholding the dignity of human life for 2,000 years. We have a history to stand on, and whereas so many non-Catholic denominations have, you know, thrown in the towel on the dignity of all human life, there's just so, there, there are a zillion different reasons why whether even if you're an atheist, you shouldn't want the Catholic Church to fall apart, to fall into ruin. And so, okay, so let's talk about Europe and to whatever degree you can. You know, when I think about these beautiful Catholic churches that, that have been in existence for the longest time and they're shutting their doors left and right, is, are, are the causes the same reason as what we're seeing in America, what's happening over in Europe? How come there's not a thriving uh, Catholic um, community over in Europe? Can you shed any light on that? Again, yeah. Same Again, reasons? you can look to the leaders. You can look to the leaders in, in Europe. I mean, it's, for instance, Germany is probably the worst example right now. You've got the former uh, president of the U.S., uh, the German bishops, Cardinal Reinhard Marx, uh, openly, openly promoting um, relaxing church doctrine on homosexuality, on contraception, on abortion, on gay unions, on you know for you know li- cohabitation. This is a man who has been front and center pushing the most radical vision of the church, and he was the president of the German Bishops Conference for years. And now they're pushing what they're call calling the German synodal path, which is just their way of now basically placing their imprimatur on it and pushing it on all really? dioceses in Germany. But Germany is most definitely at the forefront. But this sort of thing is still happening in other European countries as well. And you could always look back to the leaders in the church, the faithless, treacherous leaders. There are a handful of good bishops who are kind of swimming upstream and fighting against the grain, and God bless them for it. But unfortunately, the majority of these leaders, they're either openly pushing heresy or they're too cowardly, they're weak, and they're passive. They're not fighting it enough. And I just said, well, when that happened with me, with the local priest, when we were in the Richmond Diocese, there was someone who was really struggling with homosexuality, and this young man needed help, and I wanted to refer him to a good holy priest. And, And it made me mad that I knew I could not refer this young man who wanted desperately to get out of this mess he had become ensnared in, but I couldn't even refer him to the local priest. Because this priest would have said, hey, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Keep on doing what you're doing, buddy. So, and that part just really, just personally really hit home. So, so here's my question. Have yeah. you always been Catholic or how did you become Catholic? What led to this well, journey? Well, interesting. When I was listening to your story, I was like, wow, that sounds a lot like mine. Oh, because <laughs> I'm, 
<laughs> also a Catholic revert. <laughs> I was raised in a Catholic home, but it was a culturally Catholic home. We didn't really practice the faith. We treated mass more as a, a social event. Uh, we didn't really go to mass that often. I was never taught how to pray, not really pray the rosary, nothing, nothing. And so I didn't see it lived out in the home. I didn't see it lived out at all. And so, of course, naturally, you know, I become a teenager and I was introduced to a Protestant Bible study group. This is, I grew up in Florida on the East Coast, and so I was very much into the whole surfing, skateboarding world. I was a very different person back then. And we, um, you know, fell into this group of uh, surfers who were kind of evangelists as well. And they held a Bible study group at their home near the beach. And I was, you know, one of my friends invited me and they said, hey, they have free food and you just, they talk about Jesus. I'm like, okay, sure, why not? I was 16 at the time. And it was the first time I'd ever heard the gospel. You know, I hadn't heard it in the Catholic Church. Mm. And here they were talking about how Jesus, you know, is here to save us from our sins, et cetera. And, and, and that was the first time that I really felt this fire in my soul to learn more about Jesus. And so one day they asked who would like to, they did an altar call, you know, the altar call, who would like to accept Jesus into their hearts. And so I raised my hand and I said the sinner's prayer and I thought I accepted Jesus into my heart. And at that point, I became a very, I just decided I'm not a Catholic anymore. You know, I'm a Protestant because the Protestants have the truth. They're talking about Jesus. So I kind of became a very anti-Catholic evangelical for a number of years and thought that Catholics don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, that they're, they have a works-based religion, you know, all, all that they worship Mary and the Pope and all that, you know, all that silly stuff. And I did that for about 11 years. And of course, you know, as a Protestant, I sort of hopped from one denomination to another to another, depending on how my theology changed. And towards the end there, I started realizing, wow, this just is doctrinal anarchy. It's doctrinal anarchy. People, we, you know, right. Protestants <laughs> don't know what they believe, right. and they break off, depending on how their beliefs change. And that made Catholicism very attractive to me, that there was a single magisterium, and something else that really impressed me about the Catholic Church is that for 2,000 years, the Catholic Church held firm on divorce and remarriage all, and also abortion right because that was very pro-life mm-hmm. and i thought wow they they're, mm. they're they've never changed their position on this whereas some protestants have waffled and they've changed and all that stuff but they have never catholic church has never changed that really attracted me they were like this bulwark you know for two thousand years against the winds of change and um after intense you know it was notre dame law school i went there and for Notre, uh, law school is very intense. You're there day in, day out for three years, and you're around the same people. And that was the first time in my life at the law school that I saw authentic Catholics living out their lives. Because the law school is a bit more conservative than the rest of the campus. And that, when I came, there was a really good crop of devout Catholic students and professors. And for three years, I just saw them living an authentic Catholic life. And that really played, that, that really had an impression on me. So for those Catholics out there, just a word of encouragement, you, you never know how powerful your faithful witness is because people are watching you and you don't know it. They're watching you. They're seeing you live your life day in, day out. And if you're faithful and you're devout and you're sincere, that really can convert people because it did help to convert me. That's so I came awesome. back to the church in right. my third year of law school. Yeah. And yeah. what wow. what part of Very cool. when you were observing these faithful Catholics – like daily mass, what did that impress you in any way that, wow, instead of just church on Sunday, they were literally going to mass every day? 
or anything like that? Um, it was it was their attitude towards the faith. I could tell they took it very seriously because it was involved in everything that they did and everything they discussed. We had a lot of intellectual discussions at law school, a lot of debates, that sort of thing over controversial issues. And with these people, in addition to just being good, kind people, um, you know, they had very good, strong Catholic intellectual arguments for their positions. And it was clear their faith meant everything to them. It just kind of imbued everything that they said and did. That's the sort of thing that I mean. They were just sincere, they were devout, and they, they walked the walk, basically. They weren't hypocrites. Right. So, Beautiful. And yeah. we're not saying Protestants are hypocrites, That's, of no. course, in that statement. <laughs> uh, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. yeah no, not, not at all. Right. Okay, that's beautiful. And, that's and in fact, I would say this. I'll say this. Many Protestants are better Catholics than many Catholics are. <laughs> you know? oh, right. Uh, I, would, I would actually agree with that, yeah. <laughs> and Jimmy, yeah. why would you yeah. agree with that? Add to what Christine just said there. Right, right. Well, I mean, some. I remember when I was going to high school. You know, here at right outside DC, and um, you know, it, it, you know, I think something we do as Catholics, and I think this is this is this this is going to be a way. I agree with you, Christine, about living our faith. This is how we're going to reclaim our church and help do our part to help redeem her. You know, we. I think as Catholics, we have a tendency to take things for granted. Um, I think we tend to see things. You know, you know. Christine, as you had experience with, we have a tendency to th- see things as too uh, mechanistic, if that makes sense. Like you go to mass, you know, you're like, it's almost like you go to mass. All right, you punch your time card, you're good, you're good to go. And I agree. Like we don't really authentically live out our faith. I remember when I was in high school, um, there were a couple girls there. One of them was a Muslim, a practicing Muslim. The other one was a Hindu. And just what I was amazed at was the charity. You know what I mean? How kind they were, how understanding they were, you know, now, now that having said that, that doesn't mean every person of the Muslim or the Hindu religion, you know, is, um, is, you know, like a bastion of, you know, just like with the Catholic church doesn't mean, doesn't mean that, um, every person there is like that, you know, but I, I was amazed with, uh, their attitude of charity, how they acted. And to me, they, they did act more Catholic than the Catholics, just how they treated other people. Um, I have relatives who are Protestant or evangelical Christians, you know, and, and what's inspiring to me when I love talking to them, you know, I love debating and everything. We respect each other, but I love um, the zeal they have for their faith. And, and my mom, uh, my mom growing up in Western Pennsylvania, she, she grew, she grew up Protestant and she told us, she said there was only one church she felt you could pray in. And that was the Catholic church right down the street. You know, so so what I really grown to appreciate with with, um, you know, the people of the Protestant faith is that, you know, I, I admire their zeal. I wish us Catholics had that kind of zeal. Um, you know, yeah. I, it's, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think I've known many Protestants who are they're great people. I mean, one of the most famous Protestant converts in the Catholic Church right now, Dr. Scott Hahn, you know, I mean, brilliant theologian. Um one of my advisors up there, Dr. John Bergman, was also Protestant, and just how they're able to integrate this whole love for Christ, the love for you know their faith. You know, once they come over to the Catholic side, it's it's how it really should be: the passion, yeah. the zeal, the charism. Absolutely. They have, and, you know, yeah. I mean, it's. Mm. And this is yeah. exactly why we want to encourage everybody to go visit Church Militant website. Um, even if you're not Catholic, you will learn so much because there are about 1,500 years of history before Martin Luther. And, and I think it's imperative for, if you believe in Jesus, to be praying for the Catholic Church. We, we, it, needs to, it needs help. It needs cleansing. And, and, but it, it sits there and it holds the seed of truth. And Church Militant 
is helping to do this. They probably have the most prominent voice out there, a great team of people. Christine, thank you for being on the show today. We definitely want to have you back, and Michael Vorce as well. Uh, and so, and to the listeners of What If We've Been Wrong, today we definitely, we definitely be shown light in dark places. And, uh, and join us next time. And make sure you have the app on your phone, the Talk Radio app. God bless you.